this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, take your shoes off. Some of you are worried. I want to share this message because uh, I believe we're entering in a time where it's important that where we stand and how we stand um, really references the character of Christ. You can stand and have make a stand with a wrong attitude. You can have the right message but have the wrong heart. And so what I want to share with you this morning is, is a very important message on the love of God and who the, God, who the Lord loves. I want to start with the, a bunch of different stories. One starts with the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 13. Moses has died. He has been buried by God and on to the Lord. And uh, now Joshua is taking over as the leader of Israel. Manna has stopped. They're eating the food from the land. And they need to take it and possess it. God is telling them that He's going to train them as an army, as a nation, to go in, taking city after city. So as Joshua is getting ready to enter into the first stronghold called Jericho, he begins to pray and he's seeking the face of God. And as he begins to pray, in Joshua chapter 5, it says that he sees this mighty warrior standing in front of him with his sword drawn. And so Joshua asks really the smartest question you could ask. Are you on our side or theirs? Now wouldn't you ask that question? A good question. But what is, I think, so important to me is the answer that this angel gave. It was the angel of the Lord. And when Joshua asked, are you for us or against us on our side or their side, he said, neither. No. I have come as the captain of the Lord of hosts from heaven. In other words, I didn't come to serve in your army. I don't serve in their army. I've got my own. And then he said this to Joshua, the defining moment. Take your shoes off, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, what is so unique about that statement is what it means to someone in the Middle East. When the reference is to take your shoes off, in the Middle East, it means submission to another authority. To take your shoes off means I yield my rights and now serve you. And so that's what the angel of the Lord was saying to Joshua. I'm not here to fight on your team. I'm not here to fight on their team. You're here to fight on my team. We so often think God is on our side. God's my co-pilot, God's with me, God's doing this for me. And I want you to realize it's time to take your shoes off and submit and yield to God. God's not on my side, He's not on your side. The question is, are we on His? He's on nobody's side but His own. And if you want to be aligned with God, you must submit to Him. 
He doesn't submit to us. And the reference to that is, take your shoes off. Because this is holy ground. The word holy, in its simplest form, means other than. God is holy. He is other than something created. He's other than the earthly realm. He's other than man's principles. He's other than man's fallenness. He is other. He is holy. He's set apart from his creation. He's transcendent. He's glorious. He's self-existent. He is all in all. He is all goodness. He is all greatness. He is all majesty. He is supreme and royal above all things, through all things. He is holy. Take your shoes off. He doesn't work for you. You work for Him. If you take your shoes off. Submit yourself. And in the Middle East, quite often you see that with shoes. You see it when shoes are taken off that they are to submit one to the other person. If you'll remember, John the Baptist said this about Jesus. There is one coming greater than me that I am not worthy to what? Yeah, we read it as tie his sandals. He says to unloose his shoes. He's, Messiah will not submit to John the Baptist and take his shoes off. John has no right to remove his shoes. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. But Jesus is Jehovah who has made straight and is coming in the wilderness. And so that's the reference. If you remember when Saddam Hussein was taken uh, and that city was uh, knocking down, the, the army knocked down the sculptures and all that. How many of you saw that? The, the sculptures and statues of Saddam Hussein. What did the townspeople do? They took off their shoes. Do you remember this? And they began smacking it. Why? Because where does an enemy belong? Under our feet. And so they were showing that Saddam was done. His shoes were off. It's over. And so that's what God is saying. To Joshua, remove the shoe. This is holy. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I belong to heaven. We know that that is a theophany, that is an appearance of Christ before he came in the flesh because he is the angel of the army of hosts. He speaks in first person for Yahweh, Jehovah God. And so he is the Lord of hosts. And he came to speak, and he came to get Joshua in line. We see it with Moses. You'll remember Moses had to <clears throat> come under the authority of Yahweh when he approached the burning bush. He said, take your shoes off. You're no longer, I'm not going to serve you. You're going to serve me. And that's what that meant. And so, how many of you remember that we have to take our shoes off and serve a living God. How many of you remember the story of Jonah and Nineveh? Right? So whose side was God on in this story? Was God on Jonah, the prophet of Israel's side, or was he on Nineveh's side? Who was he for? Who was he against? Uh, yeah. He wasn't for either side. He was his side. And what they needed to do was come to him. The patience of God is amazing. He came to Jonah, who was a prophet of Israel, and he told him, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them, unless they repent, I will judge them. Now, you've got to understand who Nineveh is. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. 
And Assyria was the nation that opposed Israel. And they were vicious. They were ruthless. They treated their enemies much like today ISIS does to their enemies, cutting their heads off, being just horrible. Could you imagine God coming to someone today and saying, I want you to go to ISIS and tell them to repent and get right with me? How many of you want to go? You see, Jonah didn't want to go. In essence, what was he refusing to do? Take his shoes off. He was unwilling, figuratively, unwilling. There's nowhere in the story talking about his shoes, but it's the main idea. He was unwilling to submit to God's authority. I'm not going to do that. At the end of the story, we find out why. Because he said, I knew you'd forgive him. He didn't want him forgiven. He hates him. How can you be a prophet of God and have a wrong heart and not have God's heart? Ask your neighbor. (laughs) We all do, don't we? There are so many times that I've had the right action to take with a wrong motive. So many times I have knew I was supposed to do something, but I did it with a wrong word or a bad attitude. So you can have all the right things that you're supposed to be in your callings and your credentials, but represent poorly. Jonah did not submit to the Lord. In fact, he said, go to Nineveh. He went the other way. Now, why didn't God just get another prophet? There's enough prophets in Israel. This one's broke. He don't work. This is a crummy prophet. Go get another one. But isn't God amazing that he is patient and long-suffering to work with us? God wanted to work with Jonah. You know what amazes me about the book of Jonah? Only Jonah could have wrote it, could have written it. Why? Who else was in the belly of a whale? Who knew what he was praying? Who knew what he was saying? Unless he told someone else and they wrote it down. It was his story. He even admitted to his prejudice. He even admitted to the way he was. And so Jonah runs the other way and God is chasing him down until finally, again, in the belly of a fish, Jonah says, I'm taking my shoes off and if you get me out of this, I'll do what you want. God got his way with him, didn't he? And what about Nineveh, those Assyrians? God, why would you care for them? And now this is the question Jonah's got to be asking himself. These are the enemies of God's people. They want to snuff us out. Why would you care? And he asks God that question. In fact, the whole book is a question about that. Jonah says this, In in the last chapter, I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. In other words, I knew you would forgive them. And they knew God was that way. And he says, God says this in the end. Jonah was ticked that God forgave him. Revival breaks out. They're all praising God. Jonah goes, sits on the mountain over the city, just ticked, really mad. And then overnight, a plant, a palm tree, grows up over him, gives him shade. Doesn't that feel nice? So God sends a worm to go kill and destroy the tree. It's an interesting book because the only thing that cooperates with God are animals, fish and worms. 
God has a much easier time with all of creation besides us, but he spends all his time on us. So the tree withers and dies. Jonah's ticked and mad because he, the prophet of God, is without shade. God says this, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and they also have a lot of cattle. God cares about cows too. People and cows and worms and fish. The most rebellious being the people. The unclean things were the people. He said, you don't care about the people. Shouldn't I care about the people? You see, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. This is all about Christ. It's a message about Christ to all the nations. He's trying to teach Israel, you're supposed to be a light to the nations. The gospel that is coming that's going to be brought by Christ is to bring all the nations back to God. God loves all human beings. And he wants to reach them. So we stand here today in the 21st century and we say, we're right and you're wrong and you're all going to hell. God says, where's my heart in all that? It's a true statement, but where's my heart? God's on our side. He's not on your side. You know what? Before you make that stance, you better take your shoes off. Make sure you're on His side. Humble yourselves and know that you must be on holy ground, not your ground. Holy ground. This nation was split apart over an issue. Both sides praying for God's sovereign will to be done. God was on the side of the north. No, God was on the side of the south. Why They both prayed and they wrote songs and hymns about fighting for God and, and God being on our side. And before every battle, they would get on their knees and the south would pray for God to bless their fight and that it would be righteous and one for the name of God. And the north would get on their knees and pray and ask God to bless this fight. And we could ask the angel of the Lord, are you on the side of the north? Are you on the side of the south? And the answer is, neither. One of the aides came to Abraham Lincoln and said, is God on our side? Is he for us? And he said, you better worry if we're on his side. That's the point. Who was right, north or south? God is right. Align yourself with God. I'm going to preach this next year because 2016 is coming. Election year. Is God for the Democrats or is God for the Republicans? Whose side is he on? Is he for the Democrats? Is he for the Republicans? Neither. Neither. God's not going to back the Republicans. God's not going to back the Democrats. God is going to do what God wants to do. You need to figure out if you're aligned with Him or not. Take your shoes off. This is His will. Pray and seek wisdom to know who you will vote for. And if the word of the Lord is coming out of the mouths of those who are standing behind the platform, but you see who's aligned with God. 
Not your favorites, not what you traditionally did, not this or that, who's for this union or who's for that lobby or for this or that. Where do they stand with God? Have them all take their shoes off. And where do we stand with God, church? Peter said this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, as he was with Jonah, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance that's the heart of god it's not for me against you he's for getting everyone saved all right another one is god for pharisees or prostitutes which side is he on this sounds like a board game doesn't it is god for prostitutes or is he for pharisees it's a tough it's kind of hard to answer that, isn't it? And now there's a story about when Jesus went to Simon the Pharisee's house. Did Jesus hate Pharisees? No? Did Jesus not like Pharisees? Tough question, isn't it? Jesus loved the Pharisees. Desperately loved the Pharisees. Jesus loved the prostitute, the tax collector, the drunkard. In fact, he had a reputation. Jesus had a reputation called, being called a, a glutton and a wine-bibber. He kept hanging out with these people that the Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead near because they were righteous. But he loved both the religious righteous and those who were lost in sin. Jesus loves them both. He's not on either side. He's for both of them until they come unto His side and take off their shoes. And He went to Simon's house and Simon didn't greet him with a kiss, a normal Eastern traditional greeting. He didn't wash his feet from the mud of the dirt. And Jesus came and had dinner there as he was being watched carefully scrutinized by the pharisee and a prostitute came in and began weeping and and breaking their heart and crying over the feet of jesus jesus tells a story in that about how to whom much is forgiven great is the love why did he say it to Simon, why did he allow that to take place in front of Simon? Because he loved Simon. Why did he rebuke Simon? Because he loved Simon. He loved this woman and let her know that he appreciated her. But he loved Simon so much, he let it happen in his house. So he could slap him upside his head. Figuratively speaking. Till he'd take his shoes off. Jesus loved Pharisees. But why? Why was he always so mean to Pharisees? Why did he always yell at them? Because he publicly rebuked them for their public sin. They publicly just flaunted their their religious spirit and attitude in front of everybody, and God called them out. Look at it. If you want to get to a nut that's got a really hard shell, you smack it hard. That's what you got to do. So to get to those nuts, he had to crack them. And he had to rebuke him. 
And he began to win them. He won Nicodemus who came at night and said, you must be a teacher of the Lord. He obviously won another one, Joseph of Arimathea, who came to bury his body. That's two Pharisees he won. He won, began to win Pharisees and he began to win the Levites and the priests because in the book of Acts it says, now the Levites began to get saved after the Lord had risen and the early church was beginning to grow and all the priests were getting saved. He made an inroads to those who in fact at one time were against him because he preached hard on him. He said, I'm not on your side. Shouldn't he have been on the side of those who were professional lawgivers, those who understood the word, those who studied it day and night? You're on our side, right? No. (laughs) I'm on his side. I want you to know something. Jesus didn't take his shoes off for anybody. Even John the Baptist, he wouldn't take his shoes off for him. Jesus took his shoes off at the cross for the Father. It is there he yielded completely his life and surrendered, not my will, but thy will be done. For Christ came to the holy ground of the cross and it is there that he removed his shoes that he would die for our sins, submitting to the Father's will. God desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God isn't for Israel and opposing the Assyrians. God isn't for Jonah and against Nineveh. God isn't on the side of Pharisees or the side of prostitutes. God is the Lord. He is God. It's His side or no side. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. So if you're going to represent Him, represent Him well. He's not on our side. We must be on His. It's an attitude adjustment. I hope you're getting this. It is a matter of standing on holy ground, not traditional ground, not the church of Pentecostal ground, not the Baptist ground, not the Methodist ground, not American ground. It's holy ground. His and His alone. Did God love Saul? of Tarsus? Or did he not like Saul of Tarsus? Is he for Saul of Tarsus? Well, he wasn't for Saul of Tarsus. but Well, he was because he changed him, but he didn't like where he was. You see, it wasn't until Saul of Tarsus got his shoes removed. Uh, You remember that? I mean, Saul was born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? According to the law, perfect. This is his own writings. And uh, this guy was amazing, right? Such a zeal for God, studied under Gamaliel and, and was zealous. He was so right on for God, doing what God wanted him to do, and he was just right all the time. So he was going to persecute and kill those Christians who were of the way, and they were wrong. Have you ever seen anybody so right, but on the wrong ground? And we've got to align ourselves in this hour and get it right, folks. We've got to get it right. You know, I've, I've participated in a, lo- a number of rallies. I really have. I've been in Lansing. I've been down in Detroit. I've been in front of courthouses. I'm trying to join these rallies to have a word and to speak a voice for the Christian church against a lot of these issues that are coming out. And, and, and every time I go, I go away shaking my head. Because there's so many Christians who are standing for the right thing with a really bad attitude. And us versus them. Oh, we're right, you're wrong. 
And I know they're wrong, but they don't know they're wrong. And we've got to help them see. We've got to take our shoes off and walk humbly. But pastor, they're vicious towards us. I know that. But still, there's a spirit of Christ that we're to walk in. What about Saul? He had all the zeal and energy for God, but God met him on the road and smacked him down, didn't he? (laughs) Who are you, Lord? Why are you going to kick against this ox goad for so long? He got Saul to take his shoes off and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's how much God loved him. There are times God loves you so much he's going to poke you with an ox goad. Do you know what an ox goad is? It's a cattle prod. It's a, it's a really sharp stick and it hurts. Many of you got saved from an ox goad. Some of you got saved by the love of Jesus. Others of you got jabbed in your butt and it hurt. Thank God. Thank God he loved you that much. Maybe some of you were Pharisees. Maybe some of you were prostitutes. I don't know. He loved you that much. His love will manifest however it needs to to get you to take your shoes off. Last of all, another story I'm sure you're familiar with it, the prodigal son. Did the father love the younger son that returned better than the older son that was always there? Who did he love more? Now he loved them both. But he treated them differently, didn't he? because he loved them both. And so we talk about prodigal. Prodigal is a word that means extravagant. And so the son was an extravagant spender. He took his inheritance, went out, women, wine, booze, drank, partying, all that he had, right? Ended up in a pig pen, feeding food to a slop. Do you know what it's like for a Jew to end up with swine? The bottom of the bottom. Finally, he said, I'm taking my shoes off. Okay, it's not in the text. I'm using this figuratively. He said, the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. That's basically taking your shoes off and saying, I'm going home. I'm yielding to my father and surrendering to him. And that's what he did. And I love what the father did as he comes home. He's, you know, he's caked in mud. He's caked in slop. He didn't take a shower. He didn't go to, you know... Uh, hotel eight or six or whatever they are and, and wash off he, he came home all in his disgusting filth and what did the father do ran to him and embraced him my son who is dead is alive i love you welcome home and the first thing he did is he said cover him up cover shame cover guilt cover him from whatever he's been in he's my son covered him with a robe now the older son I never got a fatted calf. I never had a party. I never got this. But the son had everything available to him at the same time. Take your shoes off, son, and know that all that was the father's is yours. Surrender and yield to him. Father loves everybody. We need to stand with that kind of a love and devotion. And the only way to do it is to yield to Christ, the Lord of hosts, and to know that we're on holy ground. Don't stand on any other platform but the holy ground of God. How dare you look at somebody else, Jesus said, at the speck in their eyes when you got a beam sticking out of yours. 
So know where you're standing and know how you're standing. What attitude do you have? And the basic attitude that God calls everyone into when he calls them into service and ministry for the kingdom is this. Take your shoes off and bow before my authority. God doesn't work for us. We align ourselves with him. Let's bow our heads.